Welcome to Come Follow Me with Brie, episode 192, Helpers of Joy. Hello. I'm so glad you're here. This is the week of September 11th through the 17th. We are studying 2 Corinthians chapters 1 through 7. 2 Corinthians is the second letter that we have written to the saints in the Greek city of Corinth, a congregation that he helped establish. Now, as you read 2 Corinthians, it's obvious that there was at least one other letter, if not more, between his 1 Corinthians letter and his 2 Corinthians letter because he references that letter, not necessarily saying that it was a letter, but it's clear that he's been in communication with them and that he has reprimanded them for listening to a man that we don't really know much about other than he was working actively against Paul and believed that Paul needed to be less involved in the church in Corinth. We read in chapter 1, which we are going to focus today on chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, that Paul recently has had some really hard things happen to him that the saints perhaps knew about kind of, but weren't entirely aware of how hard things had gotten. Paul describes it this way in verse eight. He says, we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. Have you ever felt that way? I love when People in the scriptures use language to describe how they've been feeling that are so relatable. We were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. So despite all of this hardship, Paul starts his letter with acknowledgement and thanks to God for his mercy. He says, starting in verse 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Isn't that a beautiful way to think about it? The Lord comforts us through the Holy Ghost, and because of that, we are then equipped with the ability by God to help comfort others with that same comfort that we have been given. He also says in verse 7, And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. Partakers of consolation. This reminds me of Lehi speaking to his son Jacob, saying in 2 Nephi chapter 2 verse 11, For it must needs be that there is an opposition in all things. If not so, my firstborn in the wilderness, righteousness could not be brought to pass, neither wickedness, neither holiness nor misery, neither good nor bad. Isn't it interesting that Paul uses the word partaker as he is speaking of suffering? Partaking is typically in the context of willingly engaging in something. It isn't a passive circumstance happening to someone or to you. It is something willingly engaged in. And I don't think that I usually feel that way about suffering, (laughs) but I love how looking at suffering that way can help you mentally get to that second portion of Paul's thought here, which is that by partaking of suffering in this life, we then get the opportunity to partake of the consolation provided by the Lord. Everything has its opposite. If we didn't have suffering, we wouldn't have any need for any consolation and we wouldn't get to experience what that is like. Think about Alma the Younger in that situation. Alma the Younger was persecuting the church. He was really not being a good guy. And then he was visited by an angel. He was put into an unconscious state and had visions and and he was able to repent during that time. 
He says this in Alma 36 about this experience, starting in verse 17. And it came to pass that as I was thus racked with torment, while I was harrowed up by the memory of my many sins, behold, I remembered also to have heard my father prophesy unto the people concerning the coming of one Jesus Christ, a son of God, to atone for the sins of the world. Now as my mind caught hold upon this thought, I cried within my heart, O Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me, who am in the gall of bitterness and am encircled about by the everlasting chains of death. Now behold, when I thought this, I could remember my pains no more. Yea, I was harrowed up by the memory of my sins no more. And oh, what joy, what marvelous light did I behold. Yea, my soul was filled with joy as exceeding as was my pain. Yea, I say unto you, my son, that there could be nothing so exquisite and so bitter as were my pains. Yea, and I say unto you, my son, that on the other hand, there can be nothing so exquisite and sweet as was my joy. Now, as much as I really don't want to suffer in my life, I think we naturally want to avoid suffering. I also am very sure that without suffering, without trials, I would not have the same kind of appreciation for the consolation that I could be offered through the Spirit. I would not appreciate my Savior to this degree. Sometimes I think when people have come back from really dark sins in their life, they have the opportunity. Not that we're glad that that dark time happened in their life, but at the same time, they have this incredible opportunity to experience the atonement in such a profound way because the contrast is so great. And the same thing with suffering. There's a reason why we love to hear great stories of triumph, of people having faith through dark times, through dark times that aren't even necessarily of their own doing, and hearing about how they made it through with great faith in Jesus Christ ultimately. And even if we, the people that were listening to these great stories of triumph, aren't necessarily stories of faith in Jesus Christ, but it's it's the natural draw we have to listening to people in dark times reaching for light, all good things which come through Jesus Christ, reaching for that light. And because of that great contrast that's happened in their life, it is all the more sweet when they experience the joy that the Savior can bring, whether they know that that joy came from the Savior or not, whether they know that that light came from the Savior or not. Of course, it's always great if they know. But we can always know that any light comes from the Savior, and that contrast is part of what makes that story remarkable, part of what makes that story more impactful. All right, Paul continues on. After talking about his great trials and the contrast and the consolation provided by the Lord through those trials, he acknowledges the prayers of the saints on their behalf. He says in verse 11, Ye also helping together by prayer for us that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons' thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Once we get to verse 12, Paul is defending himself from apparent accusations that he hasn't been totally honest with them and that he was selfish in changing their plans. He promises them that he is communicating with them in all sincerity and openness, not holding anything back, 
And he then testifies to them that his travel plans are being directed by God and that it is for his good and for the good of the Corinthians that he hasn't come yet. Now, the part that I really want to focus on is on the very last verse of that first chapter. He says to them in verse 24, Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. This view that Paul has of his own ministry is such a testimony builder that this man was called and sent by God. As he goes to eventually visit them, as he writes to them, he is not doing this so that he can have dominion over their faith, but because he wants to be a helper of their joy, because he knows that it's by faith that they stand, and he has faith that their faith is what will make them stand, not his forceful leadership and dominion over that faith. He wisely understands that faith is sufficient. He doesn't need to be in charge of the Corinthians in their faith. It doesn't mean that he's not a leader, nor that he isn't necessarily directing the church, but he knows and has confidence in the saints that as they have faith in Christ, they will stand. Because faith in Jesus Christ gives us access to his power. So knowing that, knowing that Paul knew that, what role does that put Paul in? And applying to ourselves, what role does that put our leaders in or ourselves in? Paul says that his role is to be a helper of their joy. Don't you, my very first thought was, don't you feel like that's how general conference feels? That that is the role that our leaders are playing? They are helpers in our joy. Is that the role that you are playing as a leader, as a primary teacher, as a parent, as a bishop, as a young woman's leader, as a ministering sister? Let's take primary teacher as an example. Do you feel like that is the role, whether you're a primary teacher right now or you were in the past, is that ultimately how you are viewing your role, that you are to be a helper of those children's joy in Jesus Christ? I know that I haven't always been that great of a primary teacher where I'm always keeping that some version of that in my mind. I know sometimes it's been me checking a a box of, okay, I did my calling. As you minister to your ministering brothers and sisters, are you a helper of their joy in Christ? I, I don't think that I am doing that great of a job of that right now. That's something I can improve on. As a parent, are you exercising dominion over your children's faith? Or do you have confidence in faith? Do you have confidence in Jesus Christ? And do you merely seek to help their joy in Jesus Christ? I thought about this this morning as I was driving my son to school. He was the only one left in the car from me dropping off all the other kids at their different places. And I had the thought pop in my head because sometimes I, I don't always, but I try and do a little spiritual thought before I drop them off. and. I thought about repentance and how that hasn't always felt like a joyful thing to me. And I think the the church in general has gotten better at its messaging about that. But I thought about how could I be a helper of my son's joy in repentance? And so we talked about repentance and I talked to him about, about the difference between having repentance feel like a punishment and feeling like joy. How much more is that going to help my son be able to want to repent if as he's growing up i am pointing him 
toward the joyfulness of repentance, toward the redeeming power of the Savior and what a blessing that is, toward the Savior and His love for Him, and that being the reason that we are able to come back to Him. I think this concept can even be applied to ourselves. As we put so much pressure on ourselves to have faith, to be dedicated, are we attempting to force our own faith? Or are we nurturing joy in the places that we do have faith and thereby creating a nourishing mental atmosphere for growth? That's ultimately what you are doing. You should be doing as a helper of joy, creating an atmosphere where growth of faith is not only possible, but likely. And if it's within yourself, then it's absolutely assured that if you are nurturing a place of joy in your heart for Jesus Christ, there, there's no way that that can't grow into stronger and stronger faith. And if it's in reference to other people, your children, people you teach, etc., they of course have their agency. So that, that outcome isn't guaranteed, but it sure makes it more likely. And where there is joy, what did Paul then next tell them will happen? Says they will stand. By faith ye stand. President Nelson spoke about joy in October 2016 in his talk entitled Joy and Spiritual Survival. He says, Clearly Lehi knew opposition, anxiety, heartache, pain, disappointment, and sorrow. Yet he declared boldly and without reservation a principle as revealed by the Lord. Men are that they might have joy. Imagine of all the words he could have used to describe the nature and purpose of our lives here in mortality, he chose the word joy. Close quote. As faith in Jesus Christ is the beginning and end of the cause of our salvation and our nature and purpose on the earth is that we might have joy, then faith, joy, and Jesus Christ must be synonymous. President Nelson continues, That's it. Saints can be happy under every circumstance. We can feel joy even while having a bad day, a bad week, or even a bad year. My dear brothers and sisters, the joy we feel has little to do with the circumstances of our lives and everything to do with the focus of our lives. When the focus of our lives is on God's plan of salvation, which President Thomas S. Monson just taught us, and Jesus Christ and his gospel, we can feel joy regardless of what is happening or not happening in our lives. Joy comes from and because of him. He is the source of all joy. We feel it at Christmas time when we sing, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And we can feel it all year round. For Latter-day Saints, Jesus Christ is joy. President Nelson then teaches that the reason we send missionaries out into the world is to bring joy to the world. We are all on our own missions in our lives to touch the lives of people around us, to help the Father bring them to salvation, and ultimately to bring them joy. To alter what Paul said a little bit, Not to have dominion over their faith, but to be helpers of their joy, for by faith they stand. President Nelson then talks about the Savior's motivation for suffering for our sins. He quotes Hebrews 12, 2, which says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy that was set before him as he experienced the unimaginable for us? President Nelson says, think of that. In order for him to endure the most excruciating experience ever endured on earth, our Savior focused on joy. And what was the joy that was set before him? Surely it included the joy of cleansing, 
healing and strengthening us, the joy of paying for the sins of all who would repent, the joy of making it possible for you and me to return home clean and worthy, to live with our heavenly parents and families. Close quote. Nothing can bring the same exquisite and sweet joy as understanding what the Lord has done for you. As President Nelson said, Jesus Christ is joy. Because of him and his sacrifice, we can be redeemed. Because of him, we have hope. And he is unconditionally the only way to the kind of joy only he can bring. Like the Savior, when we do hard things, we can focus on the joy of redemption. When there is tragedy in our life, we can cling to the truth that the Savior, who is our joy, paid for that. One day God will, as it says in Revelations 21.4, wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. When we feel inadequate, we can feel joy, knowing that the Savior, through His grace, makes up for our inadequacies. When we sin, we can cling to the joy of the atonement of Jesus Christ, knowing that we can be made whole, that we have not disqualified ourselves from eternal progression and life with Him and our Father because of what He did for us. When we have faith in these things ourselves, like Paul did, that is when we have the capacity through the strength of Jesus Christ to help bring that joy to those we have stewardship over, to those whose path we are put in. Not that we may have dominion over their faith, but to be helpers of their joy, for they stand by faith. By faith you stand. By faith they stand. What does it mean to stand? Doctrine and Covenants 87.8 Wherefore, stand in holy places and be not moved. My favorite scripture, Helaman 5.12 And now, my sons, remember, remember that it is upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, that ye must build your foundation, that when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts in the whirlwind, yea, when all his hail and mighty storm shall beat upon you, it shall have no power over you to drag you down to the gulf of misery and endless woe because of the rock upon which ye are built, which is a sure foundation, a foundation whereon if men build, they cannot fall. Our mission on the earth is to find that joy, to find Jesus Christ ourself. And through that faith in Jesus Christ, we cannot fall. When we find that joy in Him, we witness the power that it brings into our life. And it's our responsibility as we witness that power to feed His sheep by being a helper of their joy, a joy that is Jesus Christ. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth. The Savior reigns. Let all their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy, He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness. Jesus Christ is the joy of the world. And when we truly believe that, when we feel that in our own hearts, we will want everyone around us to feel that same relief and same joy. I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.